Thanks for joining us for the Relate series as we explore the question, Because God is, you are. Doxa Church is a family of missionary servants who make disciples of Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. For more information, visit doxa-church.com. Before we walk into the Word today, we're going to look at 1 John 4, but let's take some time to pray before we dive in. Father, I'm grateful for your kindness and grace Thank you for your presence. Jesus, you promised you would never leave us or forsake us, that you would not leave your disciples like orphans, that you would send your spirit, and we know you're here. Those of us who know you, we sense that. We know it. You affirm it even in our hearts right now, that not only are you here, but as your word says, you testify to our very spirits that we are children of God, that we can cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father. And so we thank you that your love for us is not conditional upon our behavior, for otherwise we'd be hopeless this week. But it's conditional upon Jesus' behavior. And so, Jesus, we thank you for your amazing life that you lived on our behalf. We praise you for your death, that you died in our place. We worship you as the resurrected King the Lord of all. And we ask that you would make that rule and reign very real in our life as you, by your spirit, direct us to what is true for us in light of all you've done. Father, we ask that you would reassure us of your affection this morning as your children. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Like I said, I want to have you open your Bibles to 1 John 4. If you ever come in here and you need a Bible, they're uh, are along the sides over here. Uh, you can grab one and, and use it. You still can if you'd like. That's no problem if you want to even get up and get one. Uh, and you're welcome to take that out with you as well. If you don't own a Bible, we want you to have one. So please make sure you, you have one that you can look at throughout the week. We really believe it's important to be in God's Word on a daily basis if possible. So I want to encourage you to keep, uh, keep one if you need it. Also, I want to let you know, as I've said, we're in the middle of a series, well, we're just in the beginning, actually, week three now of a series called Relate, as you heard Athena share. We're looking at who God is, what God has done, that's the up part of it, uh, the vertical, and then we're realizing, as we are today, what does that mean for us? So who is God, what has he done, who are we? Uh, And that's the in part of it, dealing with who we are in light of who God is and what he's done, and then next week we'll look at the out the what do we then do and how do we relate to others as a result. And like I said last week, if you weren't here, I encourage you to, to listen to that. And, and even the week before, how we relate to others is an indicator of how we relate to self, which is an indicator of how we believe God relates to us. And so the way you relate externally is a way that you believe God is relating to you internally and, uh, and what he's done for you. So continue to, to ask the question, what does my behavior say I believe? What, what, how does how I relate to others show how I believe God relates to me? Because the way you were built is that you were built to be a reflection of the God you worship. You were built to be an image bearer of the one you submit your life to. And so, therefore, your external behaviors are a picture of your internal beliefs. If you want to go and say, what do I believe about God? Look at how you relate to others. That displays what you believe God is like and what God has done. So today we're going to look at the in part of it in light of God as Father that we talked about last week. And if you weren't with us, God as Father is not necessarily a statement of whether God is male or female or God is man. It's a statement of what God is as source, God as the one who imparts life, the one who sustains life. And so we talked about how God is the sustain, the giver and sustainer of all life. And so we ask ourselves if we believe that, would we be a people who speak words that give life? Would we be a people who enact out actions that give life to people, that extend uh, the kind of life-giving behavior that others can be encouraged and built up through? And if not, why? And that is a reflection of what we believe God's like again. So today we're going to look at, now what does that mean for us? What do we believe about ourselves in light of God as Father? So let's read 1 John 4, 7 through 21 together. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. 
In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, if, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he, can't, who he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Well, that's a lot, uh, I acknowledge. And we'll be looking at this passage both this week and next week. Uh, so that you don't have to feel like, uh, if, if you felt like, oh, Jeff didn't get after everything, it's okay. We're going to hit on the aspect of how we love others next week. But what the question I really want to look at today is what does it mean to be loved? To be, be loved. The beloved. And I want you to notice something that you're going to see over and over again every single week during this series. We're going to talk through these four questions that we talk about a lot around here at DOXA. Who is God? What has he done? Who are we and what do we do? And if you look at them in this passage, you would answer, who is God, the up? We would say God is love. And what has he done? He first loved us. Who are we? We are the beloved, the in. And then what do we do? We love others. And that's, that's the order of how it always works with God. God doesn't look first to us to do something so that we can become something. God starts with God who God is, and God expresses who God is through God's activity and work. And then, as a result, we have come to understand who we are, not because of what we do, but because of what God has done. And as a result of that, we live out our life in light of what we believe about those first three questions. All of your behaviors are a, re a representation and response to what you believe is true about who God is, what he's done, and who you are in Christ. So why do we love? Because we believe God is loved, we have been loved, and therefore we are beloved. And as beloved, we love others. That's where we're going to go today in terms of who we are in, in Christ in light of all God has done. Now, if you know much about John, you know that John is the, the, the disciple, the apostle, uh, who seems to be the, the loved one of Jesus. I mean, he, he even in his own gospel refers to himself that way. You see a deep, deep affection in, in John for Jesus and Jesus for John. And, and if you want to read the letters that are full of just oozing with love, if you want to read a gospel that displays the love of God really well, John is the one you want to go to. And that's why I'm going to it as well, because I'm convinced that many of us have this idea of God as far off, powerful, mighty, holy, which are all true. He is powerful, mighty, holy, but he's not far off. He came near. Uh, when we sing songs around Christmas, one of the songs we sing is, is about uh, the, the name of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. God loves us enough to send his son to show us his love in profound ways. And so I want us to really ask ourselves, do we believe we are dearly loved? Do we rest in the affection of the one who is loved? Do we find ourselves on a daily basis uh, in a place of rest because we don't have to do anything to earn any love anymore. It's been freely given to us in God. Do we believe that? Do our lives express that? Or are we filled with fear and anxiety 
Are we wondering all the time if we measure up? Is there a sense of, of longing that we're seeking to fulfill because we feel so empty of love? And the question for us is, do we believe we are loved by the Father, by the source of love, by the source of life, by the sus- sustainer of life? So as we go through this today, I want to talk about the fact that we need to be loved, we need to receive love, and we need to abide in love. Let's start with be loved first. It's interesting when John, John says it many times, you want to read through John's first letter here, you'll see the, the statement to the people of God over and over again, beloved, beloved, beloved. And the title beloved is not only a statement regarding the fact that we are loved, we are the beloved of God, we are the ones of, um, on whom he set his affection. I was encouraging a sister this last week who's struggling, and one of the things I said over her is God is, God is, is praising his work in front of the angels when he thinks of you. He is, he's actually saying, this is my beloved. This is the one I love. This is the one who I made. This is the one who I rescued through my son. I've, I've not only caused them to be born again, but to be adopted. That, that God, in a sense, is the proudest parent there was in the entire universe over you. So if you're wondering, like, am I ever going to measure up to my my dad or mom's expectations, am I ever going to hear, I'm so pleased with you. You, you, you are enough. You've made it. If you want to, you just got to receive it from God the Father as he speaks over you through Jesus Christ the Son. And, and the word that he says over his son is, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And if you are in Christ, you're a co-heir with that, of that very statement over your life. Anybody need that spoken over you right now? I need it on a daily basis. That I'm, I'm accepted, I'm loved, I'm pl- pleasing to God the Father. Even when I live an unpleasing life, I know that in Christ I am pleasing to him. It's a wonderful gift. It's the greatest thing there is. It's what everyone longs for, is to know they are loved. But here's the thing. Not only is it a statement of God's affection for us, but it's also a statement of our very being. We are the be loved. Not the be loved. Okay, you have to look at what I mean by that. We are the be loved, not the be love. In other words, you and I have been created to be loved by God so that we can love others. But God did not create us to be love. We're not the source of love. God is the source of love. We, we, aren't, we aren't the originators of love. We aren't, we aren't to be, as it were, a replacement of God. God is love, not us. It's a statement of who God is, and it's a clarification of who we are not. We are not to look at each other as the source of love. God intends us to look to him as the source of love. We are not creators of love. We're containers of love. And in that sense, what I said last week, when I used the phrase make love, in a sense, we, are, we can't. Because there's only one creator who is love, and God then creates us as an expression of his love. In that sense, we have to rest and say, I can't look to myself to be love for someone else. I can't look to someone else to be love for me. I have to look to God who is love to be love for me so that I can be a container of, of love in which he pours his affection into my life and then through my life to others. Here's what I want you to hear. You cannot give what you have not received. You only give what you've received. And so if you want to give love away to other people, you've got to realize that you've got to receive love before you can give love. You've got to be able to receive it before you can give it. And what I watch over and over again in my own life and in the life of others is that we go to the containers of love to be the source of love. Okay? Can I have three volunteers come up here? You don't have to talk. You just got to be an object lesson for me real quick. And if not, I'll pick you. Okay, there's one. Come on. Okay, there we go. Three ladies. Look at that. Come on, guys. Now, this is great. I'm glad you're here. But like, telling you, man, the ladies win today. All right. So I want you to grab a a pitcher. You've got the Seahawks garb like you've never had it before. I mean, you always do it, but that is amazing. Uh, Here's what a lot of us look like in our relationships. We basically are going, hey, I need some love. Come on, pour it out. Give me what you got. Okay? I'm looking for love. 
I need some love. We go to our job, we go to our spouse, we go to our friends, we go to our children, and we're saying, please be for me the source of love. And they're going, I'm just a container. I can't be for you what only God can be. And then what happens is, as we go to each other and demand that they pour love into our hearts, do you know that they're doing the very same thing? You're saying, hey, give me what you got. And we're all left empty. And you're really left empty. I'll do it. I got nothing. I got nothing to give. I'm trying. I'm trying to make it up. I'm trying to become something I'm not. I'm trying to be God. I'm trying to be love. But God is love. You are not. Please hear this. And some of you are going, to, yeah, but we've got love to give. Yeah, that's because you and I were created in the image of God. And, and by his creation, he made us in his image. And he poured his love out when he, he created us. And so we have been created in the image of God. And his love is expressed in who we are. I said that last week, that all of us, oh, you got a little less there. Let's give you a little more. Yes, I'm giving you some more love. Now, I'm not really. I just want to make sure this is clear. God, in his creation of you, made an expression of his love. And, and the thing, I, I said it last week, every single person you ever meet is an expression of the love of God. However, like our first parents, we have all been corrupted by sin. We've all, we've all looked somewhere else to find love. We've gone, we believed our, the, 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 the father of lies, Satan, and all of his deception, like our first parents. And he said, don't trust God's word over you. He says he loves you. He doesn't. He says you've been made in his image. You're not. He said that what he made you to be is good, very good. Don't believe it. You're empty. You're lacking. You could go somewhere else and get it. Trust in yourself. Trust in my words. Trust elsewhere. But don't go to God to get it. And our first parents believed it, and so do we. Every time we say, man, if I get that paycheck, then I'll be loved. And if I get the promotion, (laughs) then I'll be loved. And if I get married or my spouse affirms me, I'll be loved. And when when my kids get really good grades, boy, I feel really loved. And I really feel loved when someone praises me in front of others. But you know what? It's never enough. Why? Because it's corrupted. Their, their own ability to give you love, if it's not from God, is as broken as your desire for love. Do you see that? This is what, so we walk around, all of us are walking around filthy. Our love is broken. Our love is corrupted. Our love is not pure. Our love is not perfect. And maybe some of you are in the room right now going, like, that's what I feel like I'm carrying around. I'm feeling, I feel like I'm carrying around a picture of what I'm trying to give to others, but I keep hurting them, or they keep misunderstanding it, or it's never enough. They keep wanting more. I can never keep up. It's because you were never meant to be the source of love. You were meant to be a container of love. You were meant to not be the creator of love, but the one whom the creator pours his love into, so that you can give away his love, not yours, so you can be captured with a better affection, because you can only give what you received. Thank you very much. Leave those right up there because we're going to do something with them in a sec. And you guys may take a seat. Don't let this define you. You were just an illustration. Okay? <laughs> that was an illustration. All right, let's thank them for doing that. See, family, you all know this that have met Jesus. We all need help. We all need to be changed. We all need, as Paul says in Romans 5, We need the love of God poured into our hearts by the Spirit of God. Paul says it this way in verse 5 of chapter 5 in Romans. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Family, if we're going to love with another kind of love, we're going to have to receive another kind of love. If we're going to love with a divine affection, with a pure affection, with a holy affection, we're going to have to receive a divine affection, a, a pure affection, a holy affection. We have to receive love before we can give love. And here in 1 John 4, 7, and 8, we read, Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, many of us in the room have been born of God. We've experienced the Spirit of God 
give us what is called regeneration, this brand new life in Christ, where all of a sudden, as it were, the scales are, that are blocking our eyes fall off, the, the deafness of our ears to God's voice is removed, the, the heart that may have been hard became soft like flesh, and, and it began to be able to, to cry out in a sense like a baby coming out of the mother's womb as it first get, grabs that first breath and says, Ah, Daddy! You know, and we, the Bible talks about this idea that once you're born again, you have the Spirit of God not only give you regeneration, but give you the ability to cry out to God, to acknowledge your need for God, to, to say in, in, in words, I am in need of a Savior. I'm in need of someone to change me and transform me. And so those of you who know that have been born of God and, and you know God. And yet I know there's some in the room, even right now, who would say, I have not experienced the love of God poured into my heart. I don't know what you're talking about, Jeff. I, I feel, I, I, what I feel is a corrupted love. I feel a broken love. I, I feel a longing for love. I, I, I was, maybe you felt more like the empty container, just going, somebody, I'm, I feel dry, I feel empty. Or maybe you feel more like the dirty container. I know that sin has stained me. I know that brokenness has deeply wounded me, and I need help. 1 John 4, 9 goes on, And this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. I want you to get the order right, family. Maybe some of you who are new with us, so many people continue to wrongly represent God and saying, God will love you once you get cleaned up. God will love you once you get your act together. God will love you if you first love him. And that's not how it works. God loves you in the mess. God loves you with the brokenness. God loves you stained by sin. God loves you when you can't love. He first loved you. And he manifested that love to you through his son, Jesus Christ. If you want to know what it looks like to know the love of God, you look at Jesus Remember last week, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Jesus says. And you look at the life of Jesus and what Jesus did on our behalf. And this word propitiation is a word for atone for, or to make uh, a payment to the offended party. In this case, John is referencing the wrath of God for our sin and the death of Jesus on the cross to satisfy that wrath, to, to turn the wrath of God away from us. All of us, the Bible says, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have not lived a life of love that God created us for. All of us have looked to other sources to find love away from God. And as a result, we have sinned. That's what sin is. It's to, it's to look elsewhere to what God intends to be for us. It's to not trust God's word spoken over us. It's to not trust God's work done on our behalf. It's to look to another and to put our trust in that, which leads to all kinds of broken behavior in our lives. And every one of us has done this. Every one of us has rejected God in our hearts, in our minds, in our actions. But God who is love, even though we've rejected God as love, has loved us enough to atone for the ways that we have turned away from him, to pay the payment. Now, I just want to stop here and say, when we think about the payment for sin, we need to stop and and actually recognize that there is a consequence that we've experienced, all of us, because of sin, because we've looked elsewhere to find love in another place that is not meant to be the source of love for us. Uh, it, we've experienced spiritual death. It's affected our up relationship with God in terms of uh, the idea that we, we, we're, we're living in fear or anxiety or hiddenness or shame. Already this week... In my life, in the life of my children, I have seen all of that happen at least 10 times. Because of the relationship with God, because when we fail, we immediately do something about that. We try to hide, we try to cover up, we try to blame. We live with fear of being found out. We live with anxiety that it's not enough. It's, there's a spiritual death that we experience as a result of sin. We also experience an emotional death in ourselves that, that we become filled with anxiety and turmoil. We, we become really, in a sense, dissentered. We're off, play, off base in terms of our relationship with God, and that deeply affects our emotional world. There's a relational death that the way we treat others is broken. 
There's a physical death that will come. All of us will die unless Jesus should return before then. And there's an eternal death the Bible speaks about that those of us who never turn to God in Christ Jesus, never put our faith in him to deal with our sin, to be the payment, to be the propitiation, will one day forever be separated from God because we continue to look elsewhere for our help, for our saving, for our love. And then eventually God gives us over to have a life without him if we don't want to have a life with him. So John 3 tells us it doesn't have to be this for us. It doesn't have to end in sin having the final word. It doesn't have to end with us being basically containers full of brokenness and corrupted love. John three sixteen through 18 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Family, I know that we, you hear this one a lot, and some of you go like, yeah, that's the one they put at football games and, you know, behind the, and they get on the camera. It's because it's true. <laughs> it's because the world, God wants you to know he loves you. Enough to send his only son who willingly gave himself for us all. It goes on, for God did not son, send his son into the world to condemn the world. If you have in your mind a condemning father, you don't have in mind the right view of God. He did not send the Son to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. God wants to rescue us from our sin. He wants to purify us from our brokenness and heal us from the wounds. He wants to pour his love into our hearts, and it starts with him pouring out his love into his son as he sent him to come and live a life for you and I. When John says that, that this, this love is being made manifest in the son, he's saying you, you don't need a, a, another word from God about how much he loves you. You have it in Jesus. Whenever I'm with people and they're struggling, like, does God really love me? I'm like, how much more can he do? He came and took on flesh, became a little baby, lived 30 years in obscurity, died a horrific death in our place, took on all of our sin. In that moment, he cried out, Jesus cried out, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And the Father heard the Son, and he applied the Son's work and the Son's word to you and me. And then when he rose again, he, he spoke over his disciples, that he would never leave them or forsake them, that he would be with them always to the end of the age. And he went to be next to the right hand of God the Father. And right now he is speaking a better word all over everyone who will put their faith in Jesus as the better work for them and the better word for them. He's doing it continually. I mean, you have someone praying for you right now. His name is Jesus. Talking to God the Father saying, ah, it was a bad week for them, but... Look at my life, not theirs. Look at my works, not theirs. Uh, pour out your love that you have for me onto them. Just keep loving them, Father, because of what I've done. And, and if you're wondering, does God love you? Look at Jesus. He is the expression. He's the greatest gift of the love of God. 1 John 4, 18 says, And if you get this, there is no fear in love. Because perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Ask yourself, do you know God's love? Have you received God's love? Well, how do you know it? How do you know if you've received and experienced the love that God has for you? You won't be afraid. You'll, you'll hear this ongoing word spoken over you. I love you. You're loved. You'll experience that fruit of love because you'll start wanting to love others. I'm loved. Oh, I love you. Yeah, I don't know how, how it affects you when you sing songs, but we just introduced that new song today, and I was like, tears are streaming down my face. We hardly even sung it. Why? Because I know that Christ Jesus is the expression of the Father's love for me. And so as I'm singing, I'm not just singing about a historical event. I'm singing about my profession of the Father's love. So I will overcome because I, I don't know a better love than God the Father's love over me through Jesus Christ, attested to my heart by his Spirit. 
By the way, family, if you have never, ever heard, I don't mean audibly, but never heard in that internal sense of confidence, I love you from God the Father, then, I, then it's possible you never knew you were the beloved. You never have received love yet from the Father. And you go, no, I've been in church all my life. It's very possible that you have doctrinally uh, affirmed truths about God in Christ Jesus your entire life and never once received the love of God by expressing your desperate need for him to pour his love into your heart through his son. It's very possible I've been with people, I, I, I speak all over the place, I get to speak to pastors. It's not unusual when I speak to church leaders for someone to come up and say, when you spoke about Jesus today, I, I think I finally understood it. I think I got saved today. These are pastors. So I just assume now that just because you were in the church or even worked for the church, that you very likely don't know the love of God the Father. And if you don't know the love of God the Father, you don't belong to him yet. You haven't become the beloved. You haven't experienced the reception of love from God by his spirit poured out into your hearts. And so I want to call you family. I want to call you friends who are visiting to just to receive the love of God the Father today through his son Jesus Christ poured out into your hearts through his spirit. Some of you might be going like, oh, it's just a basic gospel message today. Yep. It's the best news I know. I, I need it. I need it every day. I need it moment by moment because you know what? The way I treat people shows me I'm still not perfected in love like 1 John tells us. I know there's still areas where I live in fear. And in that place, I'm acting as though I don't know the love of God. There are places where I still withhold love to certain people because of maybe the way they've hurt me. And in those places, I'm showing that I, I actually am submitting to another God. I, I have a different view of God in that relationship than I do in the one with my wife or my kids. And then there are even moments that I slip in and out of where I actually, it's like my mind is going in different places. And I'm like, I love my kids like God the Father loved me. And no, I don't anymore because you messed up. And, and then in those moments, the father's going, don't forget my love. You're acting as though you're submitting to a different God in the way that you're not loving your child. And that happened this week. It happened yesterday. Why? Because I'm being perfected in love. Do I know the love of God? Yes. Have I been born again by the Spirit? Yes. Am I perfected in love? No. I am still being perfected, like John says, in love. But you know how I get perfected in love? through perfect love. That's how I get perfected. I don't get perfected by working harder, trying harder. I get perfected by going to the source of perfect love to acknowledge that I need it. See, family, you and I all love others or don't love others based upon the love we have or have not received, based upon the source of love we go to in the moment. And this is a moment-by-moment kind of life. The Bible calls this sanctification. It's continually being set apart as God's holy people by setting apart God as our God in every moment. But continually saying, in this moment, I can see I worshiped a false God. I believed a lie. I submitted to something that's not true. I went to a source that is not love. It's not God. In this letter, John not only says that we are the beloved, and we are to receive love, but he also calls us to abide in love. And when John uses this language of abide, he's using the language he received from Jesus Christ. You might remember in John chapter 15, verse 4, where Jesus says to his disciples, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, please hear that. If you're wondering, why do I have so many places in my life where I don't look anything like what God's like? I don't love in any way that God has loved. It's because you're abiding in something else in that moment. You go, well, what does it mean to abide? John Piper says it this way. To abide is to, to moment by moment, Hour by hour, minute by minute, second by second, entrust myself into the person and work of Jesus to, to continue to trust him as the only one who can help me live a new life and to then treasure him above all else as I do it. 
That, that's what it means to abide. Abiding is not, I read my Bible all the time, I pray all the time, I, I, and I mean like, like prayers versus prayer as the dependency of God. Because some of us, we pray, but we don't depend, right? We just, we just give God our request, but we don't know how to submit ourselves to God. We submit a request to God, but not ourselves to God. And prayer is a way of submitting yourself to God, not just a request. Prayer is a way of saying, I'm in need, moment by moment, hour by hour, minute by minute, second by second. Like Paul, I want to pray without ceasing because I need you. Every hour, I need you. That's what it means to abide. It means, like John says in 1 John 4, 15 through 17, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. The way that John describes abiding in this case is to confess out loud our constant need for God. See, if you're here today and you're going, I've never, ever received the love of God. You know where it starts? You come to believe and confess that Jesus is the Son of God. You, you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that He is Lord. And, and when when John uses the language son of God. For John, this is shorthand for saying, you are saying out loud what you believe in your heart, and that is that Jesus came and lived a human life in complete submission to God the Father in absolutely every thought, action, and attitude as the perfect human on your, in your place. That you're saying, I need someone to have lived that life for me. I believe that only Jesus has. And that I believe when he went to the cross, he did that for me, and all the ways that I have fallen short of the glory of God were put on Jesus at the cross. He who knew no sin became sin, so that I in him might become the righteousness of God, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. And so when John is saying you believe, you confess that he's the Son of God, you're saying he is the one who lived the human life in my, in my place. He is the one who went to the cross for my sin. He is the one who was put in the grave to put my sin in the grave. As it were to say, okay, let's get rid of that. I don't want you to be associated with that anymore. We'll take care of that. Make you clean. Your sin has been put in the grave. It was put on Jesus and then he died. Do you understand what that means? He put to death sin for you. He condemned sin in his physical body, Romans 8 says. So therefore there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because Jesus took your sin and got rid of it. The Bible says he removed it as far as the east is from the west. So far as he removed our transgressions from us. This is good news, family. But you've got to confess what you believe, you've got you to say, do I really believe this? And I don't mean articulate doctrine. I mean confess your need for Jesus. Express how desperate you are. If he doesn't save you, you're hopeless. John 1, 12 through 13 says this, but to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Some of you today, right now, are being drawn by God's Spirit. God is chasing after you in love. God is calling out to you, saying, you need me. You need Jesus. You need what he did for you in his life. You need what he did for you through his death. You need him to put to death the sin in your life. You need him to be able to raise you up as he was raised up on the third day into new life, to live a new life, to have a new love poured into your heart, to go from being an empty container going to the wrong places to being filled up with the love of God, with pure, holy love. Now, some of you are going, well, what about us? Like, we, I've already been born again, and I already know what it's like to, to love God, but I'll be honest, Jeff, I feel like the other ones. I feel like I've been corrupted. I feel like I've gone to wrong sources. And you know what? I want to tell you, this is actually true of you in the heavenly realms, whether you see it or not. This is how God sees you, but I know you don't see yourself that way. 
Some of you see yourself this way. So here's what we do. This is why we get together regularly. It's not to, to change the reality, because the reality is before God, because of Christ, you're like this, even if you don't see yourself this way. But why do we come together? So we can go, I need to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. I need to hear the gospel preached one more time again. I, don't, I keep forgetting it. I forgot it at least 20 times this week. Thank you, Jeff, for bringing it to us. This is not me. That's my old life. This is me. Filled with the love of God. And it's true of you if you're in Christ. And, and what, what John is saying, the way you abide in his love, is you keep saying, I desperately need it. Jesus, I go to the wrong sources over and over and over again, but I believe that the word you spoke from the cross for my forgiveness was once and for all, for every sin I'll ever commit, for all the wrong sources I've gone to all week long. You have dealt with it once and for all, and I stand clean before God the Father, and I want you to keep pouring your love into my heart because I want to be able to pour out pure love into other people's lives. I need you. See, the ongoing work of abiding in God is to continue to keep expressing your desperate need for Jesus on a moment-by-moment, day-day, month-by-month, year-by-year basis. 1 John 4, 16, 17 says this, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. What he's saying is, you know that you're abiding in God because you actually have the love of God to give to others. And whenever you don't have the love of God to give to others, the question you should ask is, who or what am I abiding in? Who or what am I trusting in? Whose word is having primacy over my mind right now? Whose work do I think is most impressive? And I know you and I, on a daily basis, go in and out of trusting in wrong sources on a daily basis. This afternoon, some of you, if the Seahawks lose, I'm, I, I know this is like, the, I'm, I keep bringing it up, but you will actually not abide in love because you'll be anxious and you'll be discouraged and depressed. It's like, or you could go, what, it's just football. Now I'm saying this, Jeff is saying this, okay? So hear this, I love football and yet football is not a source of love. God is. Uh, some of you go, I, I'm so tired of using football illustrations. Tomorrow morning when you go to work, you will ask the question of yourself, whether you pay attention or not, will this job define me? Will this day of work define me? Will my coworkers define me? Will my boss's words define me? Will I as the boss be defined by how well that my employees submit and follow my lead? Like, you, you, you will struggle with this tomorrow. I know you will. Parents, you will struggle with this and you start getting these early grade reports from your, from your kids, which we have just recently and we all of a sudden just thinking, I mean, it's, it's only like 10 days in and we're already freaking out about our kids' grades. Why? Because we're going to the wrong source. But he goes on, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. As he is, Jesus is pure and holy. As he is, so are we. As he is, so are we in this world. And we can have confidence on that day of judgment because when we stand before him who is holy and perfect, we also will be seen as holy and perfect before God and not, a, not afraid of judgment, but rather being willing to be sober-minded and realizing the only good that we have has come from Jesus, not from ourselves. And we will boast in him forever and ever, and all eternity will be filled with the praises of the only one who has ever lived a perfectly loving life, and that's Jesus Christ. Family, let me just ask you, friends, let me ask you, just to do this to yourself, where, where is my love corrupted? Where, where does my love for self or others look like God's love or like the corrupted love that the world offers? Ask yourself that question today. And you go, well, how do I know? If it looks like Jesus, it's the love of God. If it doesn't, it's probably a corrupted one. It's an empty one. I want you to ask that question. In fact, do it this way. Just think about God's love for you expressed in Jesus and then ask, okay, what, is, what does John say in this passage? How do I know what the love of God looks like? It was manifest in the Son. He sent his Son. Do you and I pursue people who are lacking in love or do we run the other way? When we're around people that we know, man, that's gonna take a lot of time. 
Do we run the other way? How about the grocery store check? When you're going down an aisle and you see someone coming the other way, do you keep going toward them or do you turn the other way? Do you have anybody in your life who you wouldn't want to run into at the grocery store? God, ha- God doesn't have that. God pursues. He runs after those who are broken. He runs after those who have offended him, who have rebelled against him. He chases after them down the grocery store aisle. What else? It sacrifices. God sent his son to die. Family, are we sacrificial in our love? Giving up of our time, giving up of our comfort, giving up of even our space in our home, giving up of our our finances, giving up of our gifts and abilities. Jesus didn't withhold anything. He gave himself wholly for us. God did not withhold any of his love. He gave the fullness of his love to us in Christ Jesus. It sacrifices. His love forgives God sent him to be the propitiation for our sins. Family, do we forgive others? Are we eager to forgive? Or do you find yourself rejoicing when people who you know deserve it finally get what they deserve? Does that give you joy? Yeah, there's a cry for justice, but justice happened at the cross. Someone paid for that sin. Do we look to the cross and celebrate Jesus who brought about the justice of God at the cross so we could extend the forgiveness to those who we would love to retribute on instead of see restored? It's not afraid. Family, perfect love casts out fear because it has to do with punishment, but those who have been perfected in love, those who know love, are no longer afraid because the only one they ever had to be afraid of was God himself, and God has conquered all of our enemies, Satan, sin, and death, so we can rest. It's not afraid. It doesn't think, man, if I love, what will they do to me? It thinks, if I love, it'll be an expression of what he's done to me. Family, how are you doing in love? Are you abiding? Family, this is one of the reasons why I think DNA DNA groups around here are so important. If you're new with us, that's little groups of men, three or four men or three or four women getting together regularly to discover the truths of who God is and what he's done and who we are in Christ, to nurture those truths into each other's hearts, say, do you really believe it? And if not, it'll show up in your life. Can I get close enough into your life to help you see where you're walking in unbelief in the gospel? And then we can help each other act in obedience in light of the love of God in our lives. I really, really urge you to not be alone in this because we're all prone to become corrupted by the corrupting nature of others' love and forget to keep going back to God for pure, pure, holy love. Jesus says, as I come bring this to a close, family, I, I want to call you to just ask yourself, am I abiding in his love? Am I, am I coming back to the ocean of God's pure love to just dip myself in it and say, saturate me over and over again? Jesus speaking to the Samaritan woman in John 4 says this, verse 14 Some of you know that story of a woman who's desperately looking to satisfy the longings of her soul in all the wrong places. Jesus says, whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Family, are you thirsty? Come to the spring of water that is Jesus Receive a a spring that will never run dry. Receive a water that will always quench. Is your well full of dirty water? (laughs) Maybe you've been going to the wrong places over and over again. There's somebody in the room who just need to say, I'm done. I don't want that to define me anymore. I want to dip my life in the life-changing work of Jesus Christ. And I want the Father to pour his love into me so that I can be a pure and holy vessel set apart for his work. Some of you in this room today need to respond to God calling you to receive his love through Jesus Christ. And I would bet all of us need to say, I needed to come back to the spring. I needed to be filled with the living water. I I need right now him to pour it into my heart. Would you stand with me, family, as I lead you through that? Just uh, take a posture of receiving, if you would, whether it's uh, opening your hands or if you feel better that you sit back down, that's okay, or if you get on your knees, whatever posture it may be. And I give you some time to just spend with the Lord here, but what I, what I, what I want you to do is I want you to just say, God, do I know your love? One of the first things I ask a brand new Christian 
what they heard God say to them in their inner being. And usually, I just say, what are you hearing? And I, I, know, that I, I know that I know that they're receiving the love of God because they'll say something like this, I'm loved. I know that now. So family, if you know that, thank him. If you don't, I encourage you, if God is working in your heart and you believe that Jesus died for you, then confess with your lips in prayer that you need him to pour his love into your heart through Christ by his spirit today. The rest of you, just as you have your hands open, say, God, where have I been going to corrupted waters? Where have I looked elsewhere to find love that's not truly love? Just let him reveal that to you. Give you a a little bit of time to let him just speak to you. Father, I pray you'd grant by your spirit that you would not only affirm your love for us, but you would teach us to run to you as the source of love and not elsewhere. Help us not to make very good things in life our God thing. We repent of that and turn to you as the true source of living water, as the true source of real, pure love. Help us, we pray in your name. Amen. Family, as we open up the table to respond... If you're new with us every week, we go to the table. There's tables around the room where there's the bread and the cup that reminds us of Jesus' body through the bread given for us at the cross and his blood shed for us for the forgiveness of sins. And we take the bread, we dip it in the cup, and then we get together with some friends or family or a missional community and take some time just to pray and respond. So I want to encourage you to to do that, even now, to say, here's where I've been going to empty places. Here's where I've been going to corrupted waters. Here's where I've looked elsewhere to find love. If you want to confess that to each other. If not, maybe just take time to pray over each other. Maybe there, even one of you go, I just don't know the love of God right now. Pray over them that they would receive the knowledge of the love of God through Christ by his spirit today. So Father, as we do this, we ask that you would grant us a heart of thanksgiving, a confidence of your love, and a reassurance of our forgiveness. We know that this bread and this cup does not forgive us. You do but it reminds us of what Jesus did for us. We ask that you would help us in this moment to rejoice in your grace present in this room. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.